Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I want them to have ownership because it's their offense just as much as it's anybody else's. And I think when they have that ownership, it creates a lot more trust and they can operate at a faster pace because they, they trust in it. On today's podcast, we talk to the offensive coordinator of one of the top offenses in 2021, leading or at the top, near the top in several categories, the offensive coordinator at Central College, Ryan Mayuri. Ryan, it's great to have you here on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Keith. I really appreciate it. You know, I've been a long-time listener of the podcast, and you know, it's nice to be part of the show. Coach, a lot of things go into being able to get your offense to that elite level where you're performing at the level you guys did. And we're going to get into your offense later. I want to share the stats right now, though. You guys were number one in Division Three in total offense, 570.1 yards per game. Number one in scoring at 53.5 points per game. You were number two in completion rate at 70.9%. Number one in passing, 394.5 yards per game. Number nine in the red zone at 88.5% conversion. And number 17 in third downs, nearly 50% there, 49.4. So you guys have all the metrics that say, yes, this is a very good offense and I know before we got going, we talked about some of the things that go into that, and and we'll get into all those things, but let's learn a little bit about you first, and for you, Ryan, what was it that made you want to become a football coach? Well, I've been a part of football since I can remember. I mean, I started playing when I was a little kid, and my family's a football family, and, you know, it's just been a part of my life for so long, so, you know, I had a great high school football coach, and Rick Bayer, I played at Sterling Heights-Stevenson. Um, he was a legendary coach in Michigan. He's in the Michigan Football Hall of Fame for high school coaching. So I had great influence there. And then, uh, you know, I had the opportunity to play in college. And my experiences at that point, you know, I thought I was going to be a high school football coach. And when I got to about my junior year of college, I realized the impact that my football coach, uh, Jim Dabrowski, was having on my life and the teammates that I had, that experience. So about that junior year, I felt like, you know what, I think I want to coach the college game and continue to develop guys at that level. And from there, you know, I, I had some opportunities to play after college, and I played at out in Germany for a year, played some indoor football. Um, and then I kind of bounced around in coaching after that. So, you know, I've had influences. I coached at University of Minnesota for three years as a graduate assistant. 
so working under Jerry Kill and you know my old head coach Jim Zabrowski was there and that staff um, that that staff is you know when they were together it was pretty special so I learned a lot while I was there and just in again developing young student athletes and being a big part of their lives and you know that's what I'm passionate about it's really X and O's is kind of it's fun to do that's like the side side part of it but it's really just developing people and helping them grow as men you know we we talk about with our guys helping them grow socially academically athletically spiritually all those things and you know that's really things that helped me like when I was growing up that's just what I want to pour back into our players coach when you look at some of those early experiences in coaching and some of those lessons that you started learning you mentioned some great mentors along the way as well you're looking at that what were some of those key lessons in your development as a coach that really have formed who you are today if I look at my experience at University of Minnesota with Jerry Kill like I think he was just a very genuine person and you know that's who he is like he he looks at everyone where they're at in their life and where he can help them get to and you know you're not you know, things that you may have done in your past doesn't reflect on who you are as a person always. And, you know, helping people work through some maybe mistakes that they've made or, you know, maybe they came from that much and helping them see that they can have a future. And, you know, I think from that standpoint, just as people and, you know, and then coming here to Central, that's why it's been a perfect fit for me here is, you know, our head coach, Jeff McMartin is, he's a lot like that. You know, the values that he carries, I identify with as a person and you know that's why I feel like we have a special program here it's a reason why we've been able to have sustained success for so long is that we have this great you know culture's kind of like that term that everyone uses it's almost run run its course I feel like we we use that word a lot but you know it's the truth like it is what it is and you know we have a certain way that we do things and values that we carry and our kids believe in that, and they they want that as part of their life. Coach, looking at that, obviously your 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 culture as a team is going to set up the success of what happens on the field and happens with the different units on the team, the different position groups on the team. So when you look at the culture that Coach has built with you as a part of it, how does that then really start to form the culture of, of your offense and the philosophy behind what you guys are going to do on the offensive side of the ball. In 2019, so when I came from Minnesota, like there was a certain way that they did things offensively. And, you know, it, it relied a lot on being physical up front and obviously being having a good football offense, you know, and defense for that matter in all phases. Like you need to be physical. That's what this game was built on was being physical. And, you know, that's something that we pride ourselves on here as well. You know, I think that's important that it starts, the game starts up front and you need to have a physical presence at the line of scrimmage. And so I I did my best. I didn't really have to bring that here because that was kind of in place. And, you know, we preached that with our guys. And then as I, after my first year, I started realizing, you know, we're, we're not the biggest team in the world. So like, you know, we're at Minnesota, we got all these big monstrous dudes. And then we get, you know, I get here and, you know, we got big guys, but in most games we're undersized. Like we're smaller than almost every team in our league. And then when you get into the playoffs, like you're even smaller, it seems like. Um, So we, when I first got here, we were a huddle team. So we advanced to this, you know, no huddle up tempo because I felt like up front, you know, we were undersized, but we were, we were still really physical and we were really athletic. Like we moved around really well. So, you know, our, 
the physical component of the game kind of moved a little bit for us. So we, we added in the speed part of it. And so we still play physical, but we're adding in the speed element to allow our guys to wear teams out. And then they, they seem bigger as the game progresses, you know, mm-hmm. to the defense, in my opinion. When you look at the different types of offensive linemen you could get, and there's there's those guys who are road graders, probably more of the type you were used to at Minnesota, guys who can get on their track alone and really blow open a hole, and then you have those athletic guys. Uh, and their athleticism can be an advantage, even if, even if they're undersized. You see some of the best performing offenses in the, in the history of the NFL had some undersized lines. They just married up some some good schemes that fit that type of lineman. So for you, what are the schemes you like that are going to fit well with what you characterize as an undersized type lineman? We deploy three different run schemes, and you know we have them in buckets. So we run zone. So we got inside for the longest time. Inside zone was our bread and butter, but now teams have you know, defenses have caught up and they've adapted. So you see a lot of the tight front or what we see as a four-man pinch front a lot. And so we've had to adapt our game a little bit. So we run a little bit more mid-zone. We run pin and pull to allow our guys to get out on the perimeter a little bit. And, you know, sometimes there's difficulties running that with a lot of moving fronts and whatnot. Uh, but we've been able to adapt our scheme to that that type of defensive structure as well. Um, and then we also run some pr- like power read and counter GT and GY, GH counters and to allow our kids to kind of get good angles and allow them to run around because that's their, their best attributes. And then they can be physical when they get them, themselves going a little bit. All very good run schemes. When, when you look at the things you're going to do behind that, how much does motion come into play? What kind of things do you do, I guess, to – uh, dress this up in different ways to attack the different defenses, coverages, et cetera, that you're going to see. It's kind of like trying to find a balance. You know, when you're running a fast-paced offense, when that's the mindset of the offense is like we want to play fast, you're kind of a little cautious of how many moving pieces you're having because that adds into communication and, you know, kids have to process that and that may slow things down. That being said, <laughs> I I'm in love with, trade shift motion formations like that's where we carry our volume so we have we've adapted the way we communicate to speed that up so we can do those things so we do we move a lot we motion guys a lot and you know we've added we have we can jet sweep anybody we want to we can orbit motion anybody we want to you know we short motion we we, we long motion across the formation we'll trade our tight ends we'll move multiple guys you know we do it all in one play and so we we try to i want to present different looks to the defense as much as possible especially early in the game because i never want them to feel comfortable and that's the one that's the one thing i feel like i have control over as a coordinator is is that piece of it and then my players take care of the rest so you bring up some interesting points there in that you want to play fast and the speed of when the ball is going to get snapped is important to you, but yet at the same time you see the advantages in all these different tools where you you do have those moving parts that can stress a defense, that can cause them communication problems, especially if you continue to run that at speed. And you know, over the last couple of years, I know there was a ton of interest in how do I become uh, this up-tempo team that still can utilize, you know, all these great tools that you see typically the huddle teams do, right? They break the huddle, they shift from one thing to another, move somebody across, 
maybe double motion, like you said, the jet sweep, the orbit sweep. And so you said you've found a way to speed that up for you. What were the keys in setting up a system of communication that allowed you to continue to keep that tempo aspect of your offense? I think the biggest key was finding a way to signal to our kids in a way that they would understand it. So, you know, we, we will ask our kids when we meet with them, like if this is going to work for them. And so if we come up with an idea, like I don't just throw it, throw it in and say, yep, this is what we're going to do. Like I communicate with our players and say, Hey, is this going to work? And we may even check it on the field at practice to see if it works. And if it doesn't, then we go back to the drawing board and work it out together, you know, players and coaches, because they're the ones that have to be able to process it and do it. So we started to combine signals to be able to make that happen. And it just happened to work. Like our kids understood it. And sometimes it actually made it even better than what we were doing in the, before. So when we first got into it, we didn't do anything. And then like every year we just kind of ended something a little bit new and the kids were able to pick that up. So they, they were just as much as involved in, developing that as the coaches were and that's something you know at least growing up as a coach certainly as a player that wasn't something I was brought up on 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 involving the players in really how this is you know the structure is put together for you Um, I think when you and I were were texting back and forth about getting you on this podcast we were mentioning Andrew Coverdale and one of the the ideas I learned from him was this idea of educated freedom so it for for me i followed a model where you know we're going to start with this is how we have to do it this is what you need to know but then progress to that point where i really wanted player input so for you has that been something you've always been a part of or something that has evolved with you as a coach where you've you've valued more and more what the players have to say and what they're going to bring to the table in order to make things work i feel like you know, it's maybe always been a part, you know, I played quarterback. So I feel like my coaches would ask me like how I felt about things. I think just now it's on a bigger scale. Like I, I am trying, I I do my best to involve everybody. Like, you know, the receivers matter now because they need to see the signal. They need to be able to operate and process that signal if we want to play fast. So they come up with the signals almost always, you know, I'll come in with an idea like that will make sense to me. And then I'll ask them, like, hey, does this make sense to you guys? And then they'll say yes or no. Like, sometimes they'll laugh at me. So, like, I just – at that point, they're like, if they laugh at me, sometimes it's really good because they won't forget it then. And then otherwise, they're coming up with it. So, I put – I want them to have ownership because it's their offense just as much as it's anybody else's. And I think when they have that ownership, it creates a lot more trust and they can operate at a faster pace because they, they trust in it. So, like, our philosophy is – you know, we, we talk about being freaks. You know, in order for us to play fast, we need to be freaks. So back in 2019, like, we had a meeting during spring ball with our guys, and I had tried to come in and implement, like, what I believed was the way to do things. So this kind of all changed in 2019. So in 2015, I came to Central, and I was like, we're going to be this, this, and this. And spring of 2019, I was like, this isn't about me. Like, it's about our players. Like, what do they see? So – you know, I, I asked them, I said, if you were going to explain our offense to anybody, what would you tell them? They all answer fast. You know, you've been beating that in our head. We're a fast offense. And so I said, well, what does it take to be fast? And they come up with all these words, like all these words that allow them to play fast. And we end up coming up with being freaks. And, you know, they're, each of those letter and freaks mean something. And there's something that 
characteristically that allows them to excel not just in football but in the classroom and their personal lives. And that's what our philosophy has been built off of here now for the last two, well, three years now, if you count the COVID year. What are the the letters in that acronym? What do they stand for? So the first part is being focused. You know, I think in anything to be successful, like you have to be focused and in the moment. So we talk about being where your feet are at. And, you know, when, when we're on the football field, we're about being playing football and being focused in the period that we're in, the rep that we're running you know, alignment, assignment, technique, all those things, like the little details of being a great athlete. You know, when you're in the classroom, I'm focused on that class. I'm not worried about another class that I didn't, maybe I forgot to do a paper or an assignment. Like I need to be focused and in the moment. And so we talk about that being resilient, you know, emotional resiliency, physical resiliency. Like we, we talk about that, like, you know, you're going to get knocked down. You got to be able to pick yourself back up and grow from that experience. Um, effort and energy, you know, this is just as much a coach thing as it is a player thing. Like guys got to give great effort, you know, from point A to point B as fast as they can. Um, and they also have to bring energy to practice, energy to what they do on the field, on game day, energy in the classroom. Like, and that's just as much important as a coach to do. Like if I come out to practice and I'm dragging butt and I'm not excited to be there, you know, that's going to spread like wildfire to my players. And they, they realize that as teammates too, like if they come out and they're low in energy and they're, and they're playing in a in a way that's not good about helping us become better. They're affecting their teammates that way too. So they want to bring great energy and be lively when they're on the football field together and in meetings. Um, being adaptable, like I think that's something that it might be one of the most. I think they're all important, but adaptability in life itself is. You know, we just went through COVID, which was craziness, and we were adapting on the fly, left and right, on how to practice, who's practicing, what time we're practicing, when we're moving in, seasons canceled. You know, like all this stuff. Like, if you just let that crush you, you know, life's not very fun. Like, you you have to find a way to adapt and improvise a little bit. And on the football field, from play to play, like you got to adapt. Defense is going to change. You know picture is going to change you got to be able to adapt to those situations and not just be like well it's supposed to be this way you know I don't know how to do it if it's not this way and it's like hey let's talk through this thing let's adapt and adjust and we'll be okay and so our guys understand that so they don't freak out when something doesn't look like it's supposed to or you know COVID happened it's like well it's supposed to it was just normal yesterday like well it's not normal anymore so what do we, how do we operate now and we talk about being knowledgeable and the big thing that I press with being knowledgeable, like obviously you want to be really sound with your, you know, your assignments and your alignments and your techniques. And you want to be knowledgeable in the classroom. Like, um, but the biggest thing to me is being knowledgeable about your teammates and that's where you grow trust. And the only way you can do that is if you spend time together. So we talk about being knowledgeable of each other. And I think that's another thing is an offense that has allowed us to be really successful, especially in the past game is that our quarterbacks and receivers, they spend a lot of time together. And so, like, when things happen on the field, I'm not telling them what to do. Like, we've decentralized our communication system or our decision-making. Like, they, they are able to do that. I don't – if they rely on me to make the decisions all the time, like, we, one, slow down, and two, like, when things change on the field, they can't always look to me on the sideline like, hey, can I get out of this thing? Like, they got to be able to do that. So they have their own way of communicating – and that's that's come through knowledge of each other and spending time together. And then the last piece is being selfless. And I think that goes, you know, I have to give much explanation on that. Like we're about each other more so than ourselves. And, you know, our stats, our guys, 
accumulate stats throughout the season, but it's a byproduct of them pouring into each other and taking care of each other. And eventually the football will find them. And I think that takes you a long way in life too. You know, you have an opportunity to hold the door open for someone, hold the door open for someone, clean up after people if they make a mess, push your chair in, like all that little stuff. So you mentioned your passing game. Number one passing game in the country, 394.5 yards per game. And that was with uh, the number two completion rate, 70.9%. So uh, that definitely does take a lot of focus. As you said, it takes a lot of knowledge um, from getting those guys on the same page. How much do you spend, you know, you have your position meetings. How much of those meetings are with those guys together as opposed to we're going to meet as quarterbacks and we're going to meet as receivers? The only time we really meet separately is during fall camp. We will do position meetings, but the majority of the time we are together. And it, it, part of it is because of resources. Like we don't have a, necessarily a ton of meeting space during the season or time. So like our kids are getting out of class and then we're basically meeting for 20 minutes and we're going on the field. So just to save time, we'll meet all together. And I think another part of it too is to hear one voice. So it's not like you're hearing multiple things or hearing it a little bit differently and interpreting, interpreting it a little differently. So we, we typically meet together um, for the majority of it. We do our walkthroughs all together. We very rarely are separate in that. And even in practice, like I, I really believe in doing a lot more team periods or small group periods than individual. You know, I think spring ball time is a great time to do like your individual stuff, work on technique and all those things. And there is a place for individual and team, but as the season progresses are in practice, not in team, but in practice in the fall. And as the season progresses, it'll it'll go from maybe 25 minutes at the end to 10 minutes. Cause I I really want our staff, even on defense, like we like to do that group work stuff because that's how the game is played. Like we're not playing by ourselves out there. So we like to see the bigger picture more. From a structural standpoint in in practice, you you mentioned the, the 10 minutes, or so of individual, what are the, the different group and team periods that you like? And are, do you do them any, any different than maybe other people do? I'm not sure we do them any different than anybody else. Um, we do earlier in the week, I like to do inside run because it kind of just shows the picture of the front seven, front six, how the box structure is for our offensive line and for our running backs. Um, just so they know, like, for the run scheme stuff, we can we can rep out really, really fast when we do inside run. Like, I mean, it's and it's a short period. It's, like, maybe seven minutes long. So we're, we're repping out maybe 20-something plays really fast up front just so you can see those pictures and get an idea of what the upcoming opponent looks like. And then the next day we'll do team run, so we put it all together so the receivers are out there, and then you're editing your RPOs. Um, or your nakeds and some play action so that you can kind of see the whole picture and how it works together. You know, the one thing that I think that I we do really well that I like is when we do skelly, and our skelly periods aren't very long either because, you know, it's just a shell of the defense and the offense, really. And I think it helps our defense a lot so they can see route patterns. Uh, but we go good on good on that in terms of, like, our ones and twos are going against each other. But it also allows us to have our younger guys run what we do on the other side of the field and develop them in our system so they're not just running scout team all day. Right. And I think that's what we do different than a lot of other places, maybe. I don't know, in other places that I've been at least. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, a little unique and 
know, people try to get that good on good in different situations, but I like that use of it there. You, you mentioned the run period, about seven minutes, getting in about 20 plays. And I know this, you know, when we did our inside, and we were I'm kind of aligned with you, we, we did one of those early in the week, and then the next one was more team pass. So we we're getting more of the, the play action and those kind of things that make a defense play honest. Um, but when we would do that, it was uh, our operations really weren't involved in that, uh, meaning that we just yelled at, out the play and lined up and go. We yelled out the defense to the other side and lined up and go in order to keep that moving fast. How, how did you guys handle that? Do you, are you still running you know, the operations of you know, communication or you know, how did that work for you? Yeah, we still do all the signals. Um, and our players prefer that. I, I actually try to just like tell them what to do. And they like, will just sit there and stare at me until I give them a signal. Like they, <laughs> they prefer that. Cause I think they're always mentally trying to like, they, they know that's how it's going to be on Saturday really. So they're, they want to process it the same way all the time. So yeah, there was some awkwardness at, in a couple of sessions before, like with that. Yeah. I've, I've experienced that as well. I remember we, we implemented a procedure to get in the huddle, you know, end of the game, run the clock out, whatever, instead of standing there and, and letting the defense look at what we're in and, and letting them make all their adjustments. And I remember the first time we got in that huddle, it was the most awkward thing in the world. And those guys, you know, yeah. the the quarterback could have been speaking a foreign language because they're not used to hearing things like that. So he's giving them the play. And they just kind of were all confused. And, and so we went to, even when we would use that huddle procedure, everybody still looked to the sideline for those things. So, yeah, it does it does definitely get ingrained to what you're doing. Yes, yeah, sir. We, we're basically the same thing. You know, it's kind of funny because, uh, you know, you go no huddle and you're all excited about doing that. Like, hey, we don't even have to teach that part because there's a lot of mechanics that go into being in the huddle. So you don't have to teach that part and how to break the huddle and be all in unison. But then all of a sudden you get to the first game, like you haven't practiced that, and then it's like Thursday and you're going through walkthrough and you're like, oh, crap, like we actually have to do this from the sideline. So like you're like sitting there scrambling to teach them how to do that from the sideline. Like, yeah. <laughs> we, the first year that we did it, it was kind of – it was pretty hilarious going through that. We, we've got better control now because it's been quite a few years. But, yeah, that first year was – it was pretty funny. <laughs> so you shared with us the, the run concepts that – your offense is built around what are the past concepts that you guys build this high performing offense on you know it's adapted every year you know cause obviously the defense has changed and our personnel changes and you know I, i'm big on players first and then the formations and then play so it's kind of like what our players are able to do and what they're going to be best at and then also what can i teach and so we've adapted over the years based on who our players are and the best personnel packages that we have but for the most part, you know, our biggest thing is probably verticals, in my opinion. And, you know, I'm not sure that's the most efficient thing in the world, but that's our biggest, easiest play that we install and creates a lot of big opportunities for our offense. Um, and then from that, we run, like, different type of spacing concepts. Um, and there's an assortment of those. Like, that package has grown a lot. Like, it used to be just traditional spacing, but we've adapted it over the years. And now we have quite a few different ways that we do that. And, and those have been easy to tag for us so we can signal pretty fast for our guys. So I don't have to process a lot. We also run a lot of like quick screens, like the bubble and spot, spot throws. That's a big part of it, you know, with our RPO game. And then we have our downfield RPOs. 
um, a lot of movement stuff, nakeds. We run a lot of run a lot of nakeds. Run a lot of like the hitch naked stuff. Those were some things I grew up on, and we've implemented them here. We don't run them every year. It's just kind of something like when we go into the season, what we feel like we're going to get and what our kids can excel at, and then we will install that. So it's changed a little bit every year. You know, it's not always the same thing, and because our kids aren't always the same. Yeah, it sounds like we we ran a similar offense while I was at BW because four verts was definitely where we started in the past games. A good good way to protect the run when you start to get those extra people in the box. And then we felt that it with what we were doing, because we were a lot of switch releases, uh, just with the guys we had. We didn't necessarily have somebody who's going to beat you over the top all the time. So we wanted to do some things to create space for them. But then when we started looking at the different ways we could uh, implement spacing with that the stems of the two uh, started to look alike you were just snapping down you know on your spacing routes and, and covering a different area there so in looking at that though you you know again 70.9 percent completion you know and saying four verts a big part of, of what you do that people a lot of people don't think that as high percentage I do because we practiced the heck out of it right so we knew where we wanted to go with the ball so right. for, for you what has been the key to getting that high completion rate and obviously moving the ball down the field with the passing game. Well, like you said, is you know, practicing it and practicing it a lot. And then guys understanding where they need to get to on the field. Like I think landmarks are a big, you know, they're, they're really important to the success of that play. So like guys getting to certain spots of the field, you know, and, we don't teach back shoulder throws, but that's a big part of it too, is like getting that field. So it goes back to the knowledge part with our quarterbacks and receivers and even running backs because we do a decent amount of empty stuff and releasing out of the backfield. Like guys need to be able to get themselves to the right spot of the field, but play at a certain pace that allows them to adjust to the football. So, but we don't, we don't specifically teach that like back shoulder throws or anything like that, but we end up hitting a lot of those mm-hmm. and it's just off of field. So, you know, getting to our landmarks, we practice it a lot. And we practice that, like you mentioned, switch releases. We do that as well, you know, but just getting ourselves to the right spots on the field and then the quarterback understanding his progression and, you know, who is who he starts with, you know, from a reading the deep, the secondary standpoint, like he knows who he starts with on his first step of his drop and then te- tempering or tempoing his drop to the route concept. So whether we're three by one or two by two, and then from what that, his read key does where he should go to from there. We always keep boundary safety. So a quarterback's first step is we, we, we teach a jab step or a read step. And so he keeps boundary safety and that's going to dictate to him like where he's going to go into the progression. So, you know, like every, every time we run that play, like his first step and I should always go be working in unison. And then from there, his drop may change. Like sometimes his drop will be like a big three and sometimes it's going to be a quick two. And he'll temp, he'll tempo his drop to the concept and what he's doing for his progression, and that takes a lot of teaching. So we we spend a lot of time on that. Yeah, I'm with you on all those things you said, King. The boundary safety, same thing. You know, we we got to that point uh, again. Working with our quarterback, what worked for him with that read type step uh, at the beginning of his progression, and I think as you pointed out, the consistency in it too. We. Um, we always knew where the starting point play was or of that play was. And we also did some things to be sure for us, it was always going to be the tight end. And we talked about 
to all of our players, you know, that everybody on this play has a decision to make and and how they're getting to their landmarks and what they're doing once they get there based on what they're seeing on defense. And we really wanted his to be pretty simple. That guy has a lot to do in the the run game. He's got a lot of things to learn. And so we didn't want to overburden him with decisions. So simply, do I look for the ball or do I keep running this guy off, right? And all really depended on uh, the, the type of, of four-vert play we were running. And so that kept it simple for him. When we'd start there, that guy wasn't really going to do any adjusting. And then you know, we would have our guy who, who's taking that other land, hash landmark would be the adjuster. And, and then teaching everybody, they really all had to learn it, the receivers, because with the switch releases and the nature of it, somebody is going to take over that landmark and they have to adjust just as if they were lining up and running a straight four vertical. Is, is that pretty much similar to how you guys do it, or do you have some variations? Yeah, that's very similar. And I, I think the big key is, too, is like, yeah, having an understanding of how the defensive structure is and how they're playing, like some, you know, some underneath coverage, they'll spot drop, some of them are going to try to route match, they're trying to collision and all that stuff and having an understanding of that and going in. So you know how like to take your releases and the landmarks you need to get to from that. And then having tempo, even in your route. So we, we call it a hunt route in this, who are, whoever our number two is, he runs a hunt route. If it's just true for birds and then having that control and not running through the window, you know, it's like sometimes like when guys hear four birds, like they think we're chucking this thing and that's not the truth. Like we're trying to hit the ball in like a 12 at max 16 yards down the field in the perfect world you're right around 12 to 14 yes is the throw that you're trying to make you know and the best receivers have a good feel for that like they can control their body show their their numbers to the quarterback and give a nice easy target versus trying to blow gas through that thing and then they've run through the window and then the quarterback if he throws it late the kid's going to get smoked you know like so you have to have some control and tempo on those and so we spend a lot of time on that and teaching different techniques to defeat like collision guys and, you know, linebackers come out collision, like the technique that they have to use to defeat that. And so there's a lot that goes into it. And like you said, what you guys are doing, like when we run switch, it's the same thing. Like the guy switching in has to be able to feel that and what the underneath coverage is like, cause he needs to tempo his route to get to that same landmark. I, I love that idea of working on those releases and understanding those releases too. Cause uh, that's a big part of this in being successful. And and I watch teams who try to um, to run four verticals. I, I watch a lot of high school film and have access to some guys' things. And, and one of the main things I always see in, in a correction I help with is that you really need to teach these guys the, to release defenders in a different way. And, and you need to, you know, I'm watching the scout film and then I'm watching what the other team's doing. Like that's that scout team has to learn how you're playing it that week too. So it was, for us, it was a combination of the scout team. Some of our warm-up drills uh, would take it, that into account, like we would do the air raid settle drill, uh, but we would do it really in conjunction with our spacing and understanding you know, how are we going to attack this guy and where, where are we going to get into the window. And then for us, we would still do routes on air. I think it's very valuable, but it wasn't on air. We always wanted to put those keys out there uh, – and and force these guys on on all this to release a defender right understand you know is are you getting collision if you're going to get collision what are going to be the techniques that you're going to get open with this versus that spot dropper what kinds of things in your practice do you 
structure into it to be able to teach those guys? Yeah, typically it's our coaching staff that's out there getting abused by our receivers. <laughs> like, cause like you said, like to train the, like the defense to do that is difficult because it, it might change from week to week. So a lot of times, like when we're doing our small group periods, you know, our receivers coach, he'll be out there. I might be out there. Our tight ends coach will be out there and we're presenting those different looks for them so they can get themselves to the right spots. And, you know, we might go through a series where they're doing it one way against a certain drop and then another way or another series where they're doing it against the, another drop. So they're just getting continuous reps at it. And I think doing the small group half line type stuff is, is a great way to teach it versus the full field because you can be more intentional in that smaller group and still get valuable reps out of it. I, I think too, like, you know, when you run like spacing or something, like you can do that on air, like for the most part, you know, you'll put some linebackers in there for guys to get to the landmarks. But I think this play, like you have to do it against people. Like you can't do it on air. Because looking at how the run game plays into your passing game and, and some teams it's married up directly and other teams they're looking at numbers and when they're going to run. Uh, there's the RPO, there's the play actions. I know you mentioned some of those different things. Uh, when you look at how you really pick up yards in the passing game is it a, is it a spread amongst your rpo play action and your drop back routes uh or have you pri- primarily seen those yards coming through the drop back game it's been a it's been a nice blend and you know probably our most efficient and effective plays this year were actually our isolation so you know I, we got to a good spot where we run a lot of different like isolation option stuff which would be more of a drop back world and it was really simple for our quarterbacks and it was it became pretty simple for our guys to read out on the perimeter like getting themselves open so that that became something that grew a lot for us this year and then the rpo stuff was huge like i think it was a balance between those two things this year that were really effective for us you do carry a play action game as well and i know for some rpo teams they say well you know our our RPOs are our play action, right? Do you feel that it's mm-hmm. important to have both of those kinds of things within what you do? I think they're definitely important to have both. Like I think it's definitely important to have both because one, like your play action stuff, at least for us is we're trying to get the ball further downfield, like through the air, like, like kind of like a shot type play. Like we're trying to hit double post or like the spear route coming through like the deep cross or a sale route or something like we're trying to stretch the field vertically more with our play actions and our RPOs become more of like an intermediate type of play action, so to speak. So, you know, I think it's definitely important to have both of those for our system because it's a different way for us to push the ball down the field, better protection. When you're looking at how you teach the game, especially in regard to what we just went through a period of time, when technology was so important to teaching things, you know, number one, how has COVID changed the way that you coach or evolved you as a coach? And uh, the second part is the, with the technology you use, what, what things do you like best in being able to teach your guys? Well, you know, a lot of us had to turn towards zoom, you know, over the COVID time. I think I'm about zoomed out though. (laughs) I've, I've come to appreciate being in person a lot more. I'll say that. Like, I, I've, we've, we've adapted. We did stuff. Like, we, I developed this Google Drive deal so I could share stuff with our guys that way so they could always kind of be able to see what was going on um, during the season. 
or, you know, when we had to share notes that way. And then, you know, being on Zoom, like I adapted to that. Our players adapted to that. I'm sure they're probably Zoomed out as well. Um, FaceTiming, doing doing different things that way. But being able to teach, like there's nothing like being in person. And, you know, I, I'm just thankful that we're kind of back to that place, you know, where we can be together and doing things together. You know, we're all social beings and I'm, I'm relatively quiet person. I don't, I'm not much of words, I guess, but I do appreciate being around people and I don't think there's any substitute for that. And, you know, I don't, I'm not the best guy with technology. So, you know, I didn't stretch too far away from the other things like that. Most people are using. I'm pretty boring, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Coach, you guys are doing a lot of great things at central and you've done a phenomenal job with the offense for you though. What's, the one thing you do as a coach that really gives your players the winning edge? I would say without a doubt, coaching with love. And, you know, I, I, I know our player players understand that I love them. Our coaching staff loves them and I want them to love each other that same way. And they do, and they pour into each other. And I don't think there's anything more powerful than that. And it all starts there. So I think that's what gives us our winning edge when we go out on the football field and in the practice or when they're with their families, like they always know that they have a coach that loves them and is going to take care of them and be there for them. And everything just is an extension of that. Coach, what's the best way for our listeners to connect with you? Uh, On Twitter, uh, at Coach Mairi, it's M-A-I-U-R-I. My email is M-A-I-U-R-I-R at central.edu. My cell phone number is 612-272-6355. They can always text or call. Like, I'm a pretty open book, especially like in one-on-one scenarios. So if people want to reach out, I'm more than happy to share and talk and learn and all that good stuff. Coach, I appreciate you taking the time. It was great to meet you here and talk ball and certainly would love to have you back. And best of luck to you and the Dutch in 2022. Thanks a lot, Keith. It means a lot uh, being on the show. I really appreciate it.